For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, your host, Joe Donoghue. Um, long-time listeners, I have a favour to ask. Uh, if you're currently listening via Spotify, there's a new feature which allows you to rate our podcast with five stars. Um, if you like what we do here, uh, open the app, slap a five-star review on it, and um, if you're feeling extra generous, recommend us to someone you know who likes hearing about lesser-known football stories, especially in the world of under-23 football. Um, today, though, we're making a return to Spain. And it's another scouted guest debuting on the pod. Uh, let me assure you, Ruri Barlow knows a thing or two and then some when it comes to Spanish football. Uh, we'll be exploring a La Liga case study, which has caught my attention this year, uh, as well as discussing three or four other players who've caught the eye in the first half of the season before we head into the winter break. Um, so stick around for those in the second half of today's episode. Uh, firstly, though, Ruri, welcome to the podcast. How are things? Yeah, not too bad. We were just discussing how we, we might get something of a a bit better Christmas this year. So looking at the silver linings, but all in all, I'm pretty well, Joe, and I'm happy to be making my debut. Hope the, the pre-match nerves don't don't get to me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No, no. Um, you, for anybody who doesn't follow Ruri or doesn't know the work that he does, um, he's, he's a Spanish football expert. You know, that's, that's very much your jam. Uh, I know you cover La Liga for, for La Liga Lowdown. Uh, you provide bi-weekly updates uh, on, on the Road to Nowhere pod with, with Ali and Michael, which I'd implore anybody uh, to check out. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to know what was it that sort of inspired you to, to follow football in Spain so closely? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, actually. It's probably mostly a byproduct of my mother's travel habits. So she she loves traveling. And uh, when she had me, she didn't really stop. So she took me to South America when I was about seven or eight for about six weeks. Um, and from there, sort of developed an interest in Spanish language and um, a lot of the sort of Latin American culture, and that developed into more holidays to Spain. Very much fell in love with Barcelona, um, the city, and then the football club. And uh, at, at the time I was growing up, it was Ronaldinho's kind of peak era, and I would challenge anyone who was kind of growing up around that time not to fall in love with kind of, I mean, look at Real Madrid. They had the Galacticos, they had Ronaldo, Sedan, Figo, anyone you want to name, and then Barcelona came through with Ronaldinho, Samieto, and then laterally Leo Messi. So, yeah, it's been a love affair that kind of expanded out of um, that kind of era of football. And then following on from that, just a lot of... I ended up studying Spanish at a university and everything. So full-on bought the company after sort of a fleeting or fledging interest based off holidays, essentially. Well, you're fully paid up there. Yeah, I mean, that, that, Barcelona, <laughs> that Barcelona era, you, you've kind of fell into it at, at the absolute best time to, to to have been following a club like that with obviously Ronaldinho kind of just being the warm-up act for, for Lionel Messi in a way. Um, <laughs> with the Galacticos, I think you're kind of leaving Thomas Graveson and, and Jonathan Woodgate a bit short-changed there by not, not mentioning their famous stints. Uh, in, in Madrid, um, but no, no. That's we'll, we'll get on to, to today's case study, and it is a club uh, in Madrid, uh, and it's um, it's Rayo Vallecano who who are fourth in La Liga at the time of recording. Uh, that might change tonight, so by the time you're listening to this, this may be out of date. But they're doing very well, and that's the point that I want to stress. Um, you know, 
would you believe it? You know, promoted from the Segunda División last year uh, via the playoffs, uh, they finished sixth in Spain's second tier. Um, but obviously now find themselves in the Champions League places or the European places after uh, an excellent start to the season. Um, and this is a bit of a different one for the scouted pod because, you know, we've we we typically focus on on young players or, or you know particularly young sides or youth football or youth football tournaments um but but uh, rayo they're not really a team of of young players per se i mean you've got the likes of oscar trejo radamel falcao obviously a very identifiable name for for many followers of, of european football of world football in general um and 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 the like who are you know they're not exactly spring chickens but they're playing under a young coach by by the standards, um, you know, Andoni Iraola, who's thirty nine, uh, probably turning forty soon. Now I've said that, but you know, they're a club who, you know, fifteen thousand, uh, you know, capacity at the stadium. You know, never finished higher than eighth in top flight. You know, they're absolutely flying at the moment. Um, and I also love that they've got a Zidane, a Guardiola, a Suarez, and a Falcao all in their <laughs> squad. Maybe not the original versions of, except in Falcao's case. But yeah, they've been they've been a real breath of fresh air. I think this season. Yeah, I think Rayo Vallecano on the whole have, have been quite a lovable club for many. They are the hipster's choice in Spain, so to speak, but they're with good reason. I think they are very, I think we'll come on to it, they're a very social club and the fans have large influence on them. Just for a bit, bit background, I don't want to go all Wikipedia on the listeners, but they spent kind of 19 seasons in La Liga, 35 in Segunda, and then 16 in kind of the lower divisions beyond that. So... They are more or less a Segunda club for most of their history. The last 25 years, they've seen a lot more success um, in terms of kind of spending time in La Liga. But yeah, as you say, a breath of fresh air. They they came up by the skin of their teeth and and I think nobody really expected them to. Iraola last year, at one point, was even on the verge of getting a sack. So that kind of tells you, really, this kind of came from nowhere in terms of Rayo's rise and in terms of their success this season. I will admit, start of the season, I had them dead to rights. I thought they were going down. Um, I did not think that they mm-hmm. had enough. And in Spain, the playoffs, they finish about two weeks after Segunda, which takes you right into sort of the middle of May towards um, towards the end of kind of, or end of May, sorry, middle of June. And you have very little time to prepare for the new season after that. And so a Rayo team that, as you say, was good enough to finish sixth in Segunda last season and wasn't particularly taking the world by storm, they've they've come up and I think they've shocked everyone with not only how well they've played and how successful they've been, but just how entertaining they've been because they've not played like a small team. They've played, they've mixed it with the best and you only have to look at their game with Barcelona to see that this is a team that backs itself and has enough confidence installed in them by Iraola to to go at it with anyone. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you were touching on it there that they don't play like a small team, uh, and they certainly haven't this season. You know, they've they've taken teams to task, like you say, with with that Barcelona result. And you know, the the thing for me was, you know, their, I mean, it is it's their home form. They've got twenty five points from nine games so far this season. You know, that's that's dropping two points in total. Um, they've conceded three goals at home in in the top flight, and you know c- cynics might say, you know, oh well, Barcelona and Real Madrid are perhaps not at their their effervescent best uh, as they have been over the past couple of decades. But 
even still, there's been some serious, serious teams in, in La Liga this season, you know, the likes of Sevilla, the likes of Real Betis doing very well. For, for, for Rayo to be up there, to be up in the fourth, fifth places in, in the table is, is really, really impressive. Um, I, I want to touch a little bit more on Iraola, uh, who, as I mentioned, is, is 39 at the moment. Um, obviously, a, a former player, anybody who's followed La Liga over the past you know, a few decades will we'll know of him from playing for those athletic club sides. And I, I just wanted to gain sort of maybe a, a bit of a managerial background, what he's like in terms of the style of play, because as I mentioned, and the justification for having this as a case study on the pod was that he's a particularly young coach. So perhaps hasn't been on, on, on the radar of many people yet. Yeah, I mean, you can allow it just for the story. because <laughs> it, It's a great story. And Iraola, in terms of uh, a young manager, he is kind of, I think in La Liga, there's certainly been a, a movement that's it's been a want for more modern managers or a more modern style of football. I, I don't think we can underestimate the effect of Cholo Simeone and Cholismo, to put it in inverted commas, his kind of style, his methodology and the mentality that he installs in a, in a side has really spread throughout Spain. And you see a lot of teams imitate or, or go kind of similar along those lines. And you can see now with Atleti, Cholo Simeone is trying to change. And so Iraola, breath of fresh air, is playing very fast-paced, high-intensity football. They are they are like a hurricane. And I was trying to, I was trying to think of a better me- metaphor for this, but do you know in those kind of old sort of battle films, for instance, mm-hmm. Braveheart, just to play to my favorite <laughs> Of course. <laughs> do you know when the battle scene is kind of coming up and then both armies start kind of running towards each other and screaming? Absolutely. And yeah, you just you just see a whole sort of pile of people running forward into into the fray. Yeah, that's kind of what Rayo are like when they're breaking. It's just everyone steaming forward. It's fantastic to watch, firstly, visually, but also very effective. I think in terms of, and there's a players that we'll come on to now, but in terms of sort of distance covered and the speed that they're running at, they're right at the top of the stats. Um, Iraola himself, he comes from, obviously, spent a long time at Athletic. I think he's one of those types that, in terms of players, and you hear about these players who are intelligent, which just means that they ask questions and want to know a bit more about their job, essentially, I think. And Iraola was one of those. He was very inquisitive. He was coached by Marcelo Bielsa at one stage, Ernesto Valverde, and including uh, Jose Luis Mendilibar as well. And they've had a big influence on him. I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. But then he goes to New York and spends a year in New York with David Villa, Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo in that kind of New York City FC team. And I think that's that's really interesting for someone that's spent their entire career in one city, in one very particular club, like Athletic Club R, and, and to sort of seek out that learning experience right at the end of his career um, really demonstrated that this was a guy that knew he needed to leave his comfort zone and kind of go and experience new things. And thus, he went on to kind of do that in Cyprus, where he took over AEK Larnaca. Didn't go quite so well for him. He spent about six months there and started off really well, but then ended up being sacked in mid-season after a poor run of results. Then he moved on to Mirandes, which is a tiny wee club in sort of the northeast of Spain. Did pretty well there, kept them up and kept them competitive. But he also went on a pretty magical cup run where he got them to the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey and knocked out a fair few big boys on the way to that. 
and that is kind of where his star kind of really began to blossom. And then he's he's joined Rayo Vallecano, got them up, and now he has the style which I don't want to quite say it's Bielsa like because in in terms of intensity, in terms of pace of football, I'd say it's similar to that. But in terms of being quite so gung ho and quite so um, committed to your principles, he's a little more. Again, savvy is not the word, but a little more drawn back from that and willing to compromise a little. To me, I mean, you you said straight away there, you know, you were talking about uh, distance covered and sort of the intensity at which they run. And immediately the Bielsa alarm bells were going off in my head. <laughs> um, and then I was kind of just looking at the, the list of, of athletic club managers. And, you know, you think as a player, you get to the point or you hear players get say they get to a point where they start thinking about coaching they start thinking about um, what they're going to do next with their career and that usually comes sort of around their late 20s and into their early 30s and I think the fact that Iraola I mean it comes as no surprise that he's worked under Marcelo Bielsa and then Ernesto Valverde sort of as his two last managers with with Athletic um, and you know that the, the, they're going to leave a significant imprint on 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 any player really Definitely, definitely. It's the interesting thing for me is that although stylistically, in terms of what he wants his team to do, he has taken stuff from Bielsa. I, th- I think the personality aspect and the way of handling a team, he's more taken from Valverde. And Valverde, he's not a big character in terms of media persona. And I think we get very sucked into the show of football these days. And we get, I mean, you only have to look at the Premier League look at Jurgen Klopp having a go at the referee at the end of the game. And that's kind of all anyone's talking about after that game, where it was a really good game and there was lots going on, yeah. but everyone's talking about the referee. The 90 what, minutes is effectively a sideshow at times when, when, when things come to, to, to a head like that, don't Essentially, yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of big characters at big clubs, whereas Ernesto Valverde was very much a contrast from that at Barcelona, where he didn't give the most interesting answers in his press conferences he was pretty relaxed pretty calm pretty not standoffish but kept the whole drama at arm's length and Iraola for me has something of that in his style he's very unassuming his press conferences he's pretty almost casual but very willing to answer questions very willing to be honest without making a show and I think there's something very it's it's almost endearing, but it makes you want to listen to him. It makes you want to find out what he has to say because he's so calm as he says it. He says it in a very kind of quiet voice and very matter-of-factly. And I wonder if that kind of method of management is very refreshing for players in particular. And part of the reason that his players are willing to sort of fight for him, I think Sid Lowe has written a, a very good article on Rio today, which is going to steal my thunder a bit, but... In it, he does aid my case by mentioning Ivan Balyu, who's who's the right back for that team. And he says that Iraola presents his ideas two, three days before the game, very calmly, and then we arrive on the day and it plays out just like that. And that that's invaluable for me as a manager. I think if you can get to the point where you you predict almost what's going to happen in a game, your players will do anything for you because they they can see sort of in real terms that you're having an effect and that you're improving their chances of winning. 
It sounds like he's quite flexible tactically, but also has sort of a clear ideology of how he wants his team to play so that the the onus is very much on the players. They they trust in in the process, to use a phrase which agitates me greatly when when people <laughs> use it out of turn. Um, but it sounds as though he's he's kind of an amalgamation of sort of the, the coaches that he's worked under. He's kind of plucked elements from from certain from certain managers um, to to use to his to his benefit and for his team. And clearly something is working. Clearly something is going correct uh, for him and for the team this season. Um, which, as I said at the beginning, is sort of a, a breath of fresh air because you know w- w- with. With obviously the the amount of money in the game, it's 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 something you don't see as often. You know the the top four teams at the end of the season usually the teams who have the highest wage budget or um, have you know have spent the most money. Um, you know the the ones who have the the wealth of resources, not a team who who have sort of fifteen thousand spectators turning up, um, politically conscious spectators. <laughs> I think it's fair to say, given the the stunt that the the fans pulled. Um, at Rio, uh, the be- was it the beginning of this season or the beginning or the end of last season, when a sort of a, a far right uh, po- political figure was invited to the club by by the uh, by the ownership? Yeah, that was. I think it was the end of last season, and it was one of my favourite sort of fan protests. Oh yeah, mine too. Definitely. So so San- theatrical. <laughs> yeah, but very much so. It was a, a real effort to go to to secure the hazmat suits that they turned up in. So leader of the uh, yeah, far right in Spain, the political party, was invited by the president to the, to the ground to watch Rayo Vallecano. Bear in mind, this is when none of the fans were allowed in. So the following day, the fans of, from the Bucaneros, which is kind of the fan group there, they turned up in hazmat suits and proceeded to disinfect the stadium, which is a fairly comical um, take on the issue. But yeah, it's, it's a weird club in the sense that it's very community orientated in terms of what they sort of represent and what they stand for very politically conscious in terms of yeah as you said but their president around martin presa who kind of leads the conglomerate that owns raya vallecano is incredibly well we, we don't necessarily know that he's right wing but he's certainly his actions tend towards that uh, that direction and so it's it's almost constantly this club at civil war. The club, in many ways, is in disrepair. That stadium, 15,000, as you say, there's lots of issues with it. It's not modern at all and, and very much vintage in, a, in some questionable ways. Their, feet, their women's team at the moment is uh, lacking a doctor, which has caused no shortage of outrage in Spain, and rightly so. And there's also sort of youth players who were supposed to be housed by the club and are not being paid or not receiving any food or accommodation and it's there's some really sort of disgraceful things happening off the pitch at the club but the fans are probably the most engaged in terms of the community and in terms of sort of showing their beliefs in Spain and I think it's almost like having a Bundesliga inside in Spain and that's really refreshing for for a lot of us who yeah okay Barcelona, Madrid, Bernabeu Camp now really great grounds, but the fans are not the most animated, and nor do they stand for something in the same way that Rayo or perhaps Bundesliga teams might in, in terms of their community. You know, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. You know, they're, they're vocal. I mean, the the protest was was clear. It was sent sent a clear message. Even if you know people halfway across the world were looking at it, going, "Oh, that's quite funny." It's memorable. <laughs> it sticks in your head. 
Um, and you know, if it's something that you align with, you you know, you get behind it. Um, I mean, we haven't had we haven't had too much geopolitical chat on uh, on on this podcast for a while, so I'm glad we've glad we've, we've delved straight back into it just in time for Christmas. Um, but I mean, back to sort of the, the playing side of things, there aren't really a great deal of, of under twenty three players to, sort of to discuss at Ryo, uh, which makes it a bit of a curious case study for this podcast. But there is one um, who has been, you know, in particularly good form this season, uh, as as far as I can see. Um, Fran Garcia, twenty two, plays at, at left back. Um, and he's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's played every minute so far of of this season. Um, I mean, from from a sort of a bird's eye view, it looks as though he's he's very good in terms of pressing the opponent. Which, given the the description that you gave of Iraola's style, um, comes as no surprise. Um, and also sort of at reading the play, sort of intercepting and and sort of being that that little bit combative on 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 the wide areas in defence. I mean, is that something which I mean, first of all, what's he what's he been like when whenever you've watched Ryo? But I mean, what's he like in terms of as a player? He's quite a machine. It has to be said. He gets up and down as as well as you would want your sort of modern day fullback to do. He is incredibly fast. I think he's got the fastest recorded speed in the top division this year, which is pretty impressive, to say the least. Um, and he's also in the top five for ground covered. He, he gets lots of crosses in. And I think his main goal, his main sort of idea about his, his play is to get to the byline, just to kind of give you an idea of what he does. They, they play very wide wingers. I think it's one of the things that really stands out about Iraola's style is that he was a fullback. And one of the things that's perhaps been underexploited in in the recent years at certainly the big clubs or in Europe is is the wide areas. There's maybe a wing back or a wide player, but there's rarely two players playing actually out wide. And I think at Rayo, generally you have your winger and your fullback both attacking that wide space. And he has Alvaro Garcia in front of him, who's also very quick. And so you can imagine if you have him running at you and then Fran uh, Fran Garcia comes steaming on the outside with his sort of hamster wheel legs going mm-hmm. 100 miles an hour. It, it's quite effective. And Fran Garcia, he's a lovely player. I think, I don't know if you're aware of Javi Galan. Who yes, kind of, yeah, yeah, very. Yes. Watched, watched him a little, quite closely towards the end of last season. He was, it was, he's Cuesca, isn't it? Cuesca, yeah. And he, he's just moved to Celta, but yeah, he was yeah. kind of a, a revolution last year. Um, and Fran Garcia is kind of, taking the league in the same way by Storm as the, the fullback of fashion. He, his crosses are really good. He likes to. He has a lovely arc on the ball, I have to say. He, he kind of drops it in. So it, it'll go high enough to kind of avoid the first post and it'll drop right into the path of whoever he, he tends to pick out. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a, as I say, he's a bit of a machine. He's kind of, it's almost as if he's built out of rubber because people tend to sort of bounce off him, even hmm. though he's not the biggest or the most stout. But yeah, he's a really interesting prospect. I'm surprised that kind of Real Madrid let him go, although they do have Miguel Gutierrez, who's another excellent under-23 prospect for, for those who aren't aware at Real Madrid. But yeah, he's he's really, he's got the talent to take the next step, shall I say that. No, that's encouraging. I mean, from sort of the very few sort of YouTube clips that I managed to watch in the the half an hour between work and recording this podcast, um, it was uh, yeah, it 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 seemed that way, uh, and I, and I do 
I do see what you mean when you say he's a bit, he's like a, a machine, but made out of rubber because he just does sort of career through challenges. Um, just trying to, it's, it's almost like he's doing his very own hundred meter dash with the ball at his feet to try and get to the byline. Um, yeah. And then the rest, the rest is sort of muscle memory. But um, yeah, Fran Garcia, uh, for anybody who's, who's interested, seems like a, yeah, a, a positive little player, uh, 22 years old at Rayo Vallecano uh, this season. Um, moving on to sort of the, the rest of La Liga, that's sort of been a, a bit of a case study with, with Rayo, but moving on to, to the rest of the division. Um, I think this year, from sort of a scouted football perspective, there's there's been sort of a few players who've who've done re- really well in terms of you know being 23 and under and and played a, a maybe not a, a pivotal protagonist's role in their squads, um, but have played sort of you know supporting cast you know best supporting actor roles um, at their <laughs> clubs. Um, but there's been one, and it'll come as no surprise to anybody who watches La Liga regularly. There's one in particular who has been you know, just simply one of the best players, if not the best in the competition this season. Uh, And that's Vinicius Jr., who we discussed on this pod a couple of weeks ago. But since then, you know, he's gone from strength to strength. Uh, And I was looking last night and, you know, he's he's first, he's he's top in the entirety of the league for for shot creating actions. Um, He's top for dribbles attempted, for dribbles completed, uh, joint first for goal creating actions. So, you know, it's not as though he's, he's, it's not as though he's creating shots which which are you know pot shots from from nowhere for his teammates. Um, he's actually doing the business. He's creating shots in dangerous areas which are ending up in the back of the net. Um, but also you know second highest non penalty xG behind Karim Benzema, eleventh um, for, for expected assists. You know it's almost like every metric, even his pressing volume, is immense this season. You know it feels like every metric he's he's just dominating this season. You know is 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 there a real, real case for, for, in your opinion, Ruri, for him to be to be player of the season? Yeah, 100%. I mean, right now, Vinicius is probably the difference between Real Madrid being top and maybe being level on points, but certainly not at the, at the distance which they are, which is six points, although Sevilla do have a game in hand. He's... I, I don't think I've ever seen a player go from being quite so bad in front of goal and I use the word bad I mean it's perhaps it's cruel but it's true he was bad in front of goal before this season and Mm. I've never seen anyone almost flick a switch from season to season and turn into this absolutely lethal goal scorer um the the rate he's going at as you say it's it's pretty incredible and I think sometimes, I mean, there is going to be a bit of a slowdown because he's going at more than a, I think it, last time I checked, at least it was more than a goal a game in terms of creating goals. Um, and so, yeah, there will be some slowdown to an extent, but he's really taken the next step from being a talent and potentially an untapped talent to being an actual threat that teams need to cater for. And I think that will... For the second half of the season, that will be the most interesting thing is because when you become a big name and when you become the main man that all your teammates are looking for, you also become the big target for, for everyone else. And defenders across the league will be looking, working out ways to try and stop him, to try and limit his effect. And so it'll be interesting to see because right now I'd say he's more or less limited to the left wing. But as teams try and sort of shut that down, I wonder if he'll move away from that. And you saw against Atleti, actually, in the Madrid derby, 
comes off the left wing, goes on to the right-hand side and plays the ball in for Benzema to get the opener. And so I wonder if, if we'll see him move around a little bit more, become a little bit less attached to that left wing. But at the same time, I'm not sure that's necessarily where he'll be most effective because right now, sort of, he brings back minor memory sort of of uh, Neymar when he first came to Spain and not in the same kind of way that they dribble because they, they have very different styles but in the way that their job was literally to receive the ball out on the left-hand side and then you go. You go at your defender, you try and take them on and you try and beat them by whatever means you can and the aggression with which he kind of assaults defenders <laughs> as, he, as he goes at them the it's really quite a, a force of nature kind of thing to watch is it's incredible and that has essentially been the difference between Real Madrid this season where they are an attacking force and I think Ancelotti has loosened things up a bit but having both him and Benzema to uh, as threats really changes the game for the opposition because before if you have just one player for instance like Barcelona with Messi in previous seasons if you have one player that you need to shut down it's somewhat easier to do so whereas if you have the both of them it's impossible to close down so much space at the same time yeah i know what you mean in terms of the the aggression with which he sort of attacks defenders it's like it's almost cartoon like you know when yeah. they sort of their eyes are sort of rolling around in their heads and you've got a little tweedy bird sort of circling <laughs> around the top as they're sort of sat dumbfounded it, it has been like that at times especially coming off the left um sort of going across the face of goal i love that move i i I prefer it on the other side. I don't know why. Maybe it's camera angles. Vinicius, yeah, he just he's he's made a habit of that this season, and and the whole flicking of the switch to to be such a consistent performer to to be putting out so much consistent output this season is um yeah it's 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 really good. I mean, I was not to be sort of the 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 bringer of bad news, but I was sort of looking at the the xG of it, and he does have the third biggest xG over performance in La Liga this season, behind Benzema and Juanmi at Betis. Um, and I was thinking, oh, okay, so there will be a slowdown at some point. You know, xG will catch up with him because it's not it's not a small overperformance. It's by about three goals. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, is it does it suggest he's exceeding the average, which you know is all xG is because he's performing at a level which is, you know, true to form. You know, he's he's an elite player. Um, so naturally, he's outperforming his XG. Or is it a sense that he is getting a little bit lucky at times and, you know, he's perhaps scoring opportunities which on another day just wouldn't go in um, for, for whatever reason. You know, I, 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 I don't watch nearly enough of Vinicius to, to have a, an outright opinion on it, but that was something which I was kind of tossing up in my head it's yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I I think we've actually, like you say, I think we need to, or sometimes at least I forget that XG is just the average. So when you think about elite players, then you they should be overperforming over their XG if we, yeah, exactly. if we want to think of them like that. Yeah. And when I'm when I'm looking at the fact that Benzema's overperformed his even more so than than Vinicius, that is less surprising to me because I know that for the past decade, Benzema has been an elite finisher you know he's been an elite striker I think it's purely the recency that Vinicius has come into form that makes me think oh well that'll tail off at some point and and that's a totally fair um point to put to him I think for Vinicius 
it's tempting to say that he's going to slow down. I, I think he won't go quite at the rate he is right now. But in terms of him making a sort of permanent step into that role of being a an elite finisher or an elite goal threat, yeah, I, I think he maybe has made that step because Graham Hunter, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he wrote a really good article um, about Vinicius and about the sort of change in this. And it was kind of, it was almost as if, the way he put it, it was as if it was kind of heavy metal, white noise, like in his head. And you can kind of see all the possibilities in his mind kind of ballooning if as he was kind of going on goal or sort of if he had a one-on-one in seasons previous. Whereas now it's kind of pure sort of either silence or like classical music it's in his mind. Serene. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like he's thinking about what he's doing. So I, I think it's almost the, the mental side of it for me that maybe pushes me into the into the side that he will continue this form and he will be able to overperform his XG in, in coming seasons. And it, it's actually really interesting because obviously the whole world is aware that Real Madrid are trying to sign Kylian Mbappe. And I'll be fascinated to see if they form a front line of Mbappe, Vinicius and Benzema and how that works out. But um, because there's just not enough sort of space or, or defensive sort of competency in that but yeah he he is becoming the player that i think real madrid thought hazard would be for them yeah um, and they're not quite the same but he's he's performing that role yeah especially from that from that left hand side as well um another player that that is that is a wide player as a winger and it's fair to say it's, it's quite direct um is nico williams seems to be quite a few of those in football at the moment but nico <laughs> williams is is inyaki's younger brother at the athletic um and i was really really what's the word oh, not delighted because i don't know them but <laughs> <laughs> um had a mutual kind of wholesome happiness for them yeah kind of like a, a wholesome happiness for for when i discovered that oh yeah of course nico is is inyaki's brother uh his younger brother um and, you know, he's been posting some good dribble numbers uh, this season uh, for Athletic Club. Uh, and, you know, he's been coming off the bench really regularly. And, I mean, you see it all the time, you know, brotherly relationships uh, at the same club. I mean, immediately off, off the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, your you're Gary and Phil Nevels, your you're Shola and Sammy Amiobis, um, you know, perhaps not the same comparison to, to Nico and Inyaki. <laughs> but I'm thinking about, uh, how Athletic Club are the academy club, you know, promote from within FC because we, that's all we can do. Um, and I'm thinking, well, okay, so Inyaki has been such a success for them, you know, so, so consistent, you know, the, the longevity that he's had uh, over the past, you know, pretty much decade, um, certainly over the past five or six years um, has been, has been, you know, a subplot to, to each of Athletic seasons. And now you've got the younger brother, Nico Williams, coming through. I'm sure he wouldn't. It's not just just simply he's an Inyaki's brother, but why is it that he is coming through at, at Athletic at the moment? It, it's it's an interesting one. I hadn't actually thought about it, but I mean, it is his first kind of season with mm. the first team permanently. We should kind of caveat that, and each footballer moves at their own pace, and yeah. maybe he makes a Vinicius like jump next season. But I kind of looked at the formation that Marcelino plays, and it tends to be. 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1. Essentially, the two central midfielders are going to be in centre midfield and they will not move. 
Then you've got your sort of points, in this case, Inyaki, who runs in behind. He's the furthest forward. But the one behind him tends to also be nominally a centre-forward. Again, trying to win flick-ons in this sense, it tends to be Raul Garcia. And, and so those two roles are kind of settled, and I don't think Nico is necessarily suited to either of those roles. And then on the left-hand side, you've got Iken Monyain, who's he is essentially the key for this athletic side. Without him, there's very little sort of guile and craft. And so that just essentially leaves one position for Nico to compete for. And in that position, you've got Alex Berenguer, who's, for them, last season, he was massive. He scored six, seven goals, but they were all vital. And, and he was a real revelation for them last season. So he obviously has the benefit of the doubt. And so to win minutes off Berenguer, quite tricky. But in terms of Marcelino as well, we've also seen him at Valencia and he likes to employ Carlos Soler on the right-hand side and have a sort of hybrid third central midfielder slash wide man. And so more than anything that Nico's doing wrong, I think, I, w- I wonder if Marcelino just doesn't see him as the right profile for that right-hand side, given everything else he's built. In terms of the difference between him and Iñaki, he he's definitely, well... There's a big debate in Spain about whether Iñaki Williams is actually a striker, and I am firmly on the side of he is not. <laughs> um, he should be playing out wide himself on the right-hand side if, if I had had my way, but I think Nico is definitely a wide man, and although he's very quick, maybe not quite as quick as Iñaki, maybe not doesn't tend to open up the legs and go sort of steam engine style in behind the defence as much as Iñaki would. I mean, the word on the street was that Nico Williams was better than Iñaki. Um, and how you define that is is kind of tricky. But in terms of a more technical footballer, I think they have a point to that. And in terms of feet, he has, he has very good feet. He has a bit more craft about him in terms of trying to beat his man. Um, he, has a, he has a very upright running style, actually, which makes him very unpredictable almost to, to know where he's going to go or what he's going to do with the ball. But yeah, if you're asking me why he hasn't been used more often and why he's been more of an impact player, I think Marcelino, more than anything, doesn't want to duplicate the profile he has, firstly with Iñaki, and in terms of sort of a, a winger trying to come inside or, or trying to get to the byline, he, he has some of those. So, yeah, it's not necessarily down to Nico as such. You know, I was kind of sort of querying why it was him of all players that has sort of made the the breakthrough, um, you know, to be, mm-hmm. obviously, I know he's not playing regularly, but he is coming off the bench quite regularly. You know, he's in double figures for appearances this season, which I know that they're probably housing a smaller senior squad than most teams, but he is being called upon by Marcelino. Definitely. And to go back to sort of Munyain about him being the key to this operation, it's because they don't have many players of that kind of craft and guile. And Nico Williams, he does, he, he is very quick, but he, he, as I say, he does have kind of the ability to sort of try and open up a defense a bit more. And it's not just the fact that he's Inyaki's brother, but he is also very hardworking. He does have a lot of, uh, he, he does have legs, so to speak. So I think, I think he represents a different, profile to what they have coming through the academy but in in terms of um sort of the first team dynamics i i, I wouldn't be sort of 
I think he's more of a sort of replacement in terms of what he's looking for and what he has in the first team as opposed to what they have coming through. And you've seen Oyas Thalaga, who's another player coming through the academy. He's also been deployed on the right-hand side at times. And he's very much more a central midfielder and and doesn't sort of move too much from that position in the same way that Soler was a central midfielder on the right-hand side. So I, I think... Yeah, he just represents something a little bit different for Athletic and constantly they are plagued by the fact that they have a lot of very solid central midfielders, a lot of very solid centre-halves, some quite good fullbacks too, but in the attacking third, they're often pretty lacking. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Williams family story is a real, it's fascinating is probably the word for it because you know it's the Sid Lowe who you've already mentioned here, um, he did a piece with Inyaki earlier this season Um about yeah, I think it's titled something like "My Parents Crossed the Desert" um, to to get to Spain. Uh, it's about sort of the migrant story of his parents going from Ghana to to Spain, and and Iñaki playing something like two hundred games in a row in in La Liga. Um, you know, it's a real interesting story. And and Nico, being his younger brother, now playing you know bit a bit part role in in the first team is is an offshoot of that. Um, so I'd, I'd suggest if anybody wants to to read more about that, then then do go and find that article by by Sidlow on on Inyaki Williams in the Guardian. But um, there's when when you were talking about sort of the the style and and the way that Athletic play under Marcelino with sort of that that four four two, but not really a four four two because is is Inyaki Williams a striker? You know, did Raul Garcia <laughs> playing sort of a little bit deeper? I was thinking about Oyan Sunset. Um, because he was a player which um, David Cartledge, um, who also knows his stuff on La Liga, um, has been on this podcast a few times, uh, mentioned to me as a name a few, probably a few years ago now, uh, somebody coming through at the Athletic. Um, and he, yeah, I mean, he, he was somebody I hadn't heard of before. Obviously, this season he's playing quite regularly, uh, you know, played semi-regularly last season as well I think in the sort of 20s in terms of the number of appearances he made not all not always from the start but you know looking sort of at the numbers I was you know Oyan Sunset seems to be sort of a a, a a creator as opposed to a finisher I think that's that's pretty clear you know quite high on shot creating actions per 90 with around four and a half per game and and goal creating actions per 90 which is more around 0.6 per 90 um I'm I'm just curious to know what is the the whole dynamic with with how how Marcelino sets up his attackers there because if Oyan Sanset is is the creative the creative one of that front two then surely you know he's the one who'll be who'll be deputizing for Raul Garcia is he also capable of bringing the ball down in sort of the same way making it stick and being that that focal point for for players to run off Yeah I mean he's not quite Raul Garcia in the fact mm. that Although he is a big unit, he's not... I mean, Raul Garcia is an absolute warrior of a player. Yeah, he, he's a gladiator. <laughs> yeah, he's all about winding up defenders and winning aerial challenges, that kind of thing. But Oyan Sunset, I think he's also interesting because certainly when he was coming through, I was... And if um, somebody from the Athletic Diaspora wants to correct me on this, I was <laughs> under the impression that he was a, a central midfielder of that kind of athletic type of um, being pretty much sat in that central midfield, being a big physical presence and then playing the ball off. But he does have that kind of more creative streak, as you say. Um, it's interesting that he's listed as a forward on fbref.com, which is, is where I get a lot of my stats, because 
generally speaking, I think it was accepted that he was a midfielder. But he, yeah, he does have that kind of ability to play the final pass. Or one of the one of the phrases that I really love in Spanish is um, "salir siempre salen en el fo- en la foto," which essentially just means they all they're always in the photo when a goal is scored, and it's used generally to um, make a derisive comment about defenders. But in this case, Oyan Sunset, he's often in the kind of photo of, of the goal being scored for Athletic or when they do score because they don't score a lot. But um, he, he's sort of big enough to cause problems uh, and be sort of a factor for the defence to keep an eye on, but also technically good enough to slip it around the corner to to play that quick pass off with Inyaki Williams and to get someone in behind. So... I think he's playing there more out of necessity than anything. I, I, on FB Ref, he was on the top 97th percentile, I believe, for the for receiving progressive passes, which kind of tells you that he also has a good positional sense of, mm-hmm. of where the space is and to be able to pick the ball up in those areas. But may, maybe it's, I mean, sort of on my own sort of self-criticism, maybe it's just the fact that he is so big and he does play for Athletic that we don't, regard him as kind of a David Silva type player where you, you get the ball, you take a couple touches and you, you give it off perfectly into the path of someone. Um, maybe that's the reason we don't regard him as, as kind of that player. But in terms of a creative force in athletic, he's certainly one of the more promising players that they have. No, absolutely. That's sort of what I had seen of myself but was kind of waiting to, to to hear that sort of be validated by somebody who knew a lot more what they're talking about um but yeah he's i mean he's 21 years old um nico williams is 19 i believe um he's certainly he's certainly younger than than 21 um and they're they're two players obviously at athletic club i mean you've also got your, the likes of unai vencedor uh, unai nunez a lot of unais yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, lots of Unai's. Um, you know, they've they've got uh, a decent under twenty three crop, obviously, as you'd expect, given the the Basque only policy um, and and the historic connection to, to sort of youth football there. But um, yeah, Ruri, thank you very much for 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 providing your insight on Spanish football uh, today. No worries, the pleasure was absolutely all mine, and uh, it's it's great to be on Scouted Football, as I'm sure. The listeners will agree give that five star rating to to one of the best in the business thanks for having me joe very very kind um it's kind of turned into a bit of a, an athletic club uh podcast this one hasn't it <laughs> With obviously iraola iraola t- spending 12 years of, of, of his professional career there now at rio um <laughs> but we'll we'll keep this one marketed as a, as a we'll keep this one as a as a as a Rio podcast but um yeah it's been a bit of a, a La Liga roundup talking about a few of the other players as well including potential um candidate for player of the season Vinicius Junior um but just finally Ruri where can people find you um where can people engage with your work maybe on the likes of La Liga lowdown and, and the road to nowhere pod and that sort of thing yeah a lot of my stuff will will be out on Twitter it's at Ruri Barlow spelt R-U-R-I B-A-R-L-O-W, as in Gary. Um, so yeah, if if you head on to head on to Twitter, I'll be promoting my work there. But generally, it's found on laligalowdown.com or the Road to Nowhere podcast and, and various others that crop up throughout the season, as tends to be the case. 
Great stuff. Well, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, it's been another deep dive on La Liga. Uh, hopefully you found something interesting or insightful. It's made you Google something in the, the midst of, of listening along. Unless you're driving, that is. Don't be Googling when you're driving. Um, this will be back after Christmas, so I hope you have uh, a lovely festive period. Uh, but yeah, stay safe, take care, and bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.